1: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
0: Hey, we're really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Yes, we have your good, bad, and crazy martinis today. But, Jim, we have to start with sweet, sweet vindication for the Three Martini Lunch after five long years. Uh, Our most loyal listeners will remember that in the summer of 2016, we conjured up the existence of an elite counterterrorism unit based at Walt Disney World, which we colloquially named Disney CTU. It was in the wake of finding out that the FBI twice had the Orlando Pulse Club uh, mass shooter on their radar, twice let him go, and then Disney World told the FBI that he and his wife were uh, looking pretty suspicious, and maybe even casing the joint and the FBI didn't follow up. So we invented Disney CTU. Mickey kind of in the role of Jack Bauer, shooting people in the knee. Goofy heading up uh, enhanced interrogation. Minnie looking sweet, but probably the Chloe of the operation since she's so loyal to Mickey. Uh, Donald, of course, being the bureaucrat that's constantly upset with what everybody else is doing. But Jim, yesterday a wonderful listener named Murillo Silva. I probably butchered that. I'm sorry about that. But he uh, retweeted uh, something that uh, was a couple uh, steps further back in the chain that says, My friend Rodney has accomplished a lot in his lifetime. Former CIA analyst on the president's daily briefing team. First director of the Walt Disney Company's Global Intelligence and Threat Analysis Department. Jim, Somebody's finally listening to us. Our wisdom is finding its way to the halls of the great powers at Disney. I would love to have a cut of the, uh, uh, you know, of the residuals that they're clearly making from this operation, but Disney clearly needed a
1: CTU, and now they have one. Disney, you're welcome. Disney, you are indeed welcome. Um, and yeah, those residual checks—send them whenever you like. We'll let you know. You can send them to Radio America or Care of, you know, National Review if you like. Um, it, it, you know, I think it was—I wrote, I read some of Robert Iger's autobiography, and he begins uh, with his account of the Orlando Pulse nightclub shooter and getting the word that apparently he had thought about going to the House of Blues that is part of the Disney complex down there in Orlando, apparently saw too much security and chose somewhere else. And I guess he was over in China, big surprise, uh, preparing for the opening of a theme park or something like that. He had to fly back and, you know. The intensity of all that kind of stuff. So we've always known that Disney, you know, besides having security guards, as you'd expect at an amusement park, the Disney Corporation with, you know, extensive big activities all around the world, one of the iconic American companies, and presumably a big target for the Al Qaeda's ISIS and, you know, other terrorist groups. It's not surprising that they have a pretty well-developed security organization, but that really is a cool name and really does suggest that something closer to Disney CTU really does exist. That would be great. I
0: suggested uh, yesterday on Twitter that Global Intelligence and Threat Analysis was really the bureaucratic cover for Goofy interdicts terrorist assets, and so uh, I can just picture these raids in and around uh, Greater Orlando. Ah! Surprise! And then there's the gunfire just erupts, and all these uh, narcos and, and uh, terrorists just get blasted. And, and Goofy's just kind of chuckling there in the corner. I
1: mean, Greg, my my highly placed sources have observed that when Disney's CTU or Counterterrorism Organization he finds someone who knows that there's a bomb that's been planted or an attack is in, you know being prepared but won't talk, they strap him into the. It's a small world. After all ride, right. and they just let him on it over and over again until the song drives him crazy and he cracks and he spills his guts and tells him everything.
0: <laughs> That's enhanced interrogation for sure. Uh, I could see Daisy or Minnie running that particular operation because they'd probably actually like that song. <laughs> but, uh, you know, lots of talent over there at Disney. You know, you got Chip and Dale that find tiny ways to uh, annoy terrorists. I mean, there's just lots and lots of assets there. So, um, We highly uh, congratulate Disney CTU for being created, and uh, hopefully they are able to stop major terrorist threats. But uh, again, seriously, you're welcome. All right, on to our good martini now, Jim, and uh, much more seriously, we uh, head to the U.S. Senate and head uh, with the issue of the genocide in China against the Uyghurs in the uh, Xinjiang province. Uh, This is from your colleague Zachary Evans at National Review. The Senate passed a bill to curtail imports from Xinjiang province in China on Wednesday evening following reports of China's mass internment and sterilization of Uyghurs and other minorities in the region. The Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, introduced by Senators Marco Rubio, Republican of Florida, and Jeff Merkley, Democrat of Oregon and passed by a voice vote, seeks to prevent importation of all goods made in Xinjiang with forced labor. Various reports have emerged alleging that China forces Uyghurs to work in industries and supply chains based in Xinjiang for products including solar panels and cotton. The bill would establish a, quote, rebuttable presumption, unquote, that goods made in the region were made with forced labor, which would ban their importation to the United States. An importer would need to prove that its goods are not made with forced labor, in order for those goods to enter the country. Various companies, including Apple, Coca-Cola, and Nike, of course, lobbied against the bill in 2020. So, Jim, my question is how good we really are going to be at uh, enforcing and verifying whether the stuff was made with slave labor. But the, uh, the motivation here is excellent. And if there is a way to verify, it'll be a nice step forward.
1: Yeah, and I think one of the things that uh, makes this reassuring is that uh, back in like the middle to late June, the Biden administration was reportedly considering, quote, an effective region-wide ban on polysilicon from Xinjiang. Um, polysilicon is what they use to make solar panels. And you may have noticed that Democrats love alternative energy and they love clean energy and they love solar panels. And so except solar panels are really a big, po- you know, a, a big chunk of the entire uh, world supply of polysilicon comes from. China, it come and it comes from the part where they're abusing Uyghur labor, labor. The bad news is um, the you know U.S. Customs and Border Protection. The decision from the Biden administration was to bar the importation of silica-based products made by one particular company and its subsidiaries. Um, now that, that is the biggest manufacturer of this kind of silicon in the entire world, so like that's a, that's a somewhat big deal. But the problem is that there's like you know a half dozen others, and the sneaking suspicion is that if you're an American solar pal- panel company or somebody else who needs polysilicon you're just going to find it from other companies. And all we're going to do is, you know, shift it from one company using forced labor to another company for using forced labor. If you really wanted to do it, you'd have to do uh, a much broader, you know, maybe you could justify this as sort of like, let's take this step and see how the Chinese respond, but this really isn't going to move the ball that much on the use of forced labor in China. So this statement, this, you know, action by the Senate does keep the pressure on the administration and basically say, look, we, we don't think that's nearly enough. Uh, you guys are really kind of going at a crawl on this. You don't, you know, you don't seem kind of half-hearted about this. I'm glad the the Biden administration took the half measure. I'd really prefer it was much more extensive. Um, and the interesting thing is that, like, one, it sounds like very few companies in the West or really in the rest of the world really know what their supply chain in China is. They just got it's kind of like a black box, and they they don't really they can't really say with 100 percent certainty. Oh no, no, our companies are the good ones. Uh, we don't use the companies that do. And the second thing is that. Um, that if you're basically you're buying almost anything from this particular region, the odds that your companies you're working with are not using uh, forced labor in one form or another or being supplied by other companies that are using forced labor is pretty much nil. Um, so really, if we really wanna stop this, we'd have to ban from this entire region. This the Senate legislation gets us a little bit closer to that or at least pushes us in that direction and kind of you know, works against administration complacency on this.
0: Apple, Nike, and Coca-Cola. You mentioned, Jim, that uh, sometimes there's a a black hole of knowledge here, so they might not know. But unless you had a pretty good clue, why would you oppose this legislation?
1: Yeah. (laughs) We're totally sure we're not doing it, but we want to make sure you don't ban it anyway. Mm,
0: (laughs) Well, hopefully this becomes law. Sometimes uh, it's pretty hard to find Democrats willing to uh, make life tougher for the commies. We'll talk about that a little bit in our next martini. But, Jim, in the meantime, let's talk about something truly delicious, and that is seafood from the Wild Alaskan Company. Look, you're used to having a lot of choices when it comes to what you eat, but it matters where your food comes from. And look, it just makes common sense. Get your nutrition from nature. The Wild Alaskan Company sources wild-caught seafood from Alaska and the Pacific Northwest, exactly where you would want it from. Wild Alaskan Company delivers high quality, sustainably sourced, wild-caught seafood, and they bring it right to your door.
1: You can choose from salmon, whitefish, or a combination of both, and every month there are different special offers to explore. Each shipment contains premium, wild-caught, individually-wrapped portions of delicious seafood that's ready to prepare and easy to cook. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. Always wild, never farmed or modified, and it contains no antibiotics. You can adjust, pause, or cancel your membership anytime. And they offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Get your nutrition from nature with Wild Alaskan Company.
0: Well, I can tell you they've got 100% satisfaction in the Karambas household. Uh, We have uh, tried the salmon. It is excellent. Uh, Mrs. Karambas and I uh, love salmon, so we've gotten it from a lot of different places over the years. And I will tell you what, uh, this salmon is excellent. You can taste the difference. She, of course, does an excellent job of preparing it as well. But we've had it a couple different times now, and we have loved it every time. And right now you can get $15 off your first box of premium seafood when you visit wildalaskancompany.com slash martini. That's wild Alaskan, with an N, wildalaskancompany.com slash martini for $15 off your first box. Again, wildalaskancompany.com slash martini and make sure to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. And of course to get that discount. All right, Jim, we talked about, uh, Lawmakers turning the screws on the communists in China. Not so much the case when it comes to the left and Cuba. We, of course, celebrated the people having the immense courage uh, to take to the streets of Cuba. But now, of course, the left is uh, reverting to its leftist tendencies and uh, kowtowing to the communists. You've got the Pan American Health Organization, for example, saying, I don't know about these protests, man. COVID might spread. Uh, in this ridiculously repressive society. Uh, And then, of course, you've got the Biden administration saying, don't come here. But, Jim, you highlighted on Twitter this morning, and a lot of people are talking about this, the utterly absurd yet revealing uh, statement from Black Lives Matter on this, as they are all in with the Cubans. Some extended excerpts here, but I think it's worth it. Black Lives Matter condemns the U.S. federal government's inhumane treatment of Cubans. Yeah, it's our fault. And urges it to immediately lift the economic embargo. This cruel and inhumane policy instituted with the explicit intention, listen to this, of destabilizing the country and undermining Cubans' right to choose their own government is at the heart of Cuba's current crisis. Since 1962, the United States has forced pain and suffering on the people of Cuba by cutting off food, medicine, and supplies, costing the tiny island nation an estimated $130 billion. So then they claim that this is uh, hampering the effort to deal with COVID. Oh, but there's more. Cuba has historically demonstrated solidarity with oppressed peoples of African descent, from protecting black revolutionaries like Asada Shakur through granting her asylum. She's a cop killer, people. To supporting black liberation struggles in Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau, and South Africa. Not done yet. Looking to President Biden to end the embargo, something President Obama called for in 2016. So, Jim, revealing on a number of fronts, first of all, that Black Lives Matter is fully commie if we didn't know that already from their admitted statements uh, from their webpage a long time ago. Uh, but the fact that they are uh, calling uh, Cuba this place that is only oppressive because of the U.S. embargo, claiming the the Cubans choose their own people, and on and on and on, there's just no basis in reality at Black Lives Matter.
1: Yeah, as I put it this morning, well, we did find we finally found the one group of cops that Black Lives Matter. It's not willing to criticize. Right. Unfortunately, it's the Cuban secret police, uh, the ones who are taking people away, sometimes even during live on television interviews that apparently or at least reportedly opened fire on peaceful protesters and killed people. That kind of police work, they're fine with that. They have nothing. And here's the thing. If, if the Black Lives Matter had wanted to say we really oppose the U.S. embargo against Cuba, they've got every right to do that. I, I don't think um I would keep it in place because I think it is useful for, you know, maintaining the squeeze on the regime. But if you want to say, look, it's not really doing any good, the entire European Union trades with Cuba, the rest of the world trades with Cuba. Our embargo isn't really doing that much uh, to, to hinder the regime. I, I, you could entertain that argument. That's not a crazy argument. Uh, But the fact they just don't say anything about the regime, they don't certainly don't say anything critical about the regime. And they don't say anything about this police brutality and outright murder uh, to say nothing of, you know, unlawful, uh, you know, physical violence, you know, extrajudicial killings, you know, the whole nine yards. The fact they have nothing to say about that demonstrates the Black Lives Matter formal organization with that name. Is effectively pro police brutality as long as it's done by people they like. They they really have no principled objection to it. They only object to it in this country. They're fine with it if somebody who they see as a political ally is doing that to people they oppose. Uh, now, when I posted that this morning, a couple people said, "Jim, Black Lives Matter." The organization is not the same as Black Lives Matter as the movement. And people who are look, I think there are a decent number of people, not a ton, not nearly enough loud ones, but I think there are some people who are supporters of the Black Lives movement, Black Lives Matter movement who are embarrassed by this statement from the Black Lives Matter organization. I'd like them to get a little louder. I'd like them to say so. I'd like them to push back against this. I'd like them to say, look, I hate the embargo too, but we really need to address the fact that this is a police state that has always abused its citizens, that is now even ramping up the abuse of its citizens much, much worse, we denounce what we see as police misconduct and abuses and brutality here in the United States. We should not change it because you know, we should not say it's okay on foreign shores, 90 miles from the state of Florida. Uh, and if they did that, I feel great. I, I understand the, the probably the reluctance to pick fights with allies, but I think this is necessary. Uh, I think the, you know, when, when somebody who claims to be speaking on your behalf gives a statement that doesn't reflect your views, it's a good idea to speak up and say, no, that isn't the case. And for anybody who's like, ah, they all believe the same way. So remember, probably about 10 years ago, everybody and their brother just decided I'm a Tea Party leader. There was no coherent, it was like it was a national congress of the Tea Party. It's not like we held elections. People just said, I'm forming this Tea Party group, and they weren't, you know, and this and local media would show up and they would say whatever they said. Some of those Tea Party group leaders turned out to be terrific, but some of them were kind of nuts. And there wasn't any real selection process. So you could say the Tea Party movement and the organizations calling themselves Tea Party. We're not necessarily the same thing. I think it's a similar matter to what Black Lives Matter, the organization versus Black Lives Matter, the movement. But if you're in that movement and you don't like what the organization said, it might be a really good time for you to speak up and say, no, this is not a good statement and it does not reflect our thinking. Absolutely. Yeah. The concept is very different from from the organization, at
0: least for a lot of people. But, uh, I mean, they're very explicit here. They think the Cuban government is a success. You know, giving supposedly giving people the right to choose their own government. So, I don't know if you chalk this up to cluelessness or them essentially admitting, "Hey, we think all these things are good ideas over there." But my exit question on this though is if the Europeans and everybody else are trading with the Cubans, so our embargo doesn't make a difference, you can't really blame the deprivation on the embargo then, can you?
1: True enough. I mean, you know, you'd argue that the obviously the Cuban economy would be doing better. But yeah, that's not the primary factor in why Cuba is struggling. The reason for Cuba is struggling is because it's got a state run economy and it's a you know, terribly corrupt kleptocracy. And the, you know, the government keeps all the uh, profits and benefits for itself and uses the you know, what it, what, access to the resources that it has as a way of maintaining political control. That's their top priority, not maximizing the prosperity for everyone. Prosperity amongst the citizens is, you know, besides the fact that it's not communist, it's not socialist. It's also a separate power center that is a threat to the regime.
0: Oh, just disgusting that the left will constantly stick up for commies. It drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. But you know what doesn't? Good prices, good prices on My Pillow products, for example. And My Pillow is more than just fantastic pillows. My Pillow has given the same attention that they've given to their pillows to the Giza Dream Sheets. Fantastic sheets. They uh, they are durable. Uh, they are soft. They are comfortable. Uh, very easy to fall asleep on and stay asleep on. Uh, and when you combo it with the pillow, it, it's a very good thing. And so uh, over at the Corumbus house, My Pillow, whether it's the sheets, whether it's the towels, whether
1: it's the pillows, thumbs up all the way. For a limited time, you can get two sets of the Giza Dream Sheets for one low price, plus free shipping. Imagine sliding into the most comfortable sheets you will ever own, guaranteed. They're made from the world's best cotton, grown only in a region between the Sahara Desert, the Mediterranean Sea, and the Nile River. Its long staple cotton makes it ultra soft and breathable. It's available in a variety of colors and sizes. It's machine washable. And these sheets come with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So visit MyPillow.com and
0: use the promo code Martini at checkout or call 800-874-0104 for two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping. Again, that's two sets of Giza Dream Sheets for one low price plus free shipping with the promo code Martini at MyPillow.com or when you call 800-874-0104. Sleep better with MyPillow.com or call 800 874 All right, Jim, one thing communists and fascists also love to do is restrict what you can think and what you can read and what you can learn. And when it comes to some of our cultural and political issues, that seems to be creeping into our society as well. The latest example of this is from the American... Booksellers uh, Association, known as the ABA, but it's not the lawyers. Uh, Their Twitter bio says celebrating and supporting independent bookstores for 120 years. We believe bookstores are the hearts of communities and books change lives. But now they are profusely apologizing in absurd language here because they happen to include in some of the books they sent one called Irreversible Damage, the transgender craze seducing our daughters, by Abigail Schreier, uh, who is uh, taking a look at this issue because the mainstream media won't give it a balanced shake. So uh, she is bringing up some of the issues that parents need to be aware of before permanent changes are made to young bodies and so forth. And so the statement after sending this book from this American Booksellers Association is, an anti-trans book was included in our July mailing to members. This is a serious, violent incident that goes against ABA's uh, policies, values, and everything we believe and support. It is inexcusable. We apologize to our trans members and the trans community for this terrible incident and the pain we caused them. We also apologize to the LGBTQIA plus community at large and to our bookselling community. Apologies are not enough. We've begun addressing this today and are committed to engaging in the critical dialogue needed to inform concrete steps to address the harm we caused. Those steps will be shared in the next three weeks. So. Uh, Jim apparently uh, respecting people means they never ever have to face an idea they disagree with.
1: I guess apparently we're going to change it to the American Not Selling Books Association <laughs> because they don't want to sell this book anymore. You know, like my my whole you know, I thought the whole point of the American Booksellers Association is that they want to sell books. You'd think it'd be right there in the title. The other thing is also okay, first of all, it's interesting. This is the paperback version. The hardback version came out more than a year ago. Or, or about a year ago. So the first interesting question is like, oh, this didn't start. I mean, like it was. It's faced its own, you know, controversy and people who hated it and stuff like that. But the idea that this is getting this kind of reaction for a mailing, for a well, a promotion of this, right? Oh, by the way, the Economist magazine called it one of the best books of 2020. Um, this is you know more than 60,000 hardcover copies. So like for something that they think, oh, you know, this is real. You, know, you would think they'd sent out copies of MindCom. You would have think thought from this reaction that they had put out something that is utterly beyond the pale and just on the face of it. And then to go even further and to say, you know, it's not just, we strongly object to the arguments of this book. We strongly think this is, you know, this book's research is not, you know, like, I don't agree with those assessments, but you know, you, you can make those criticisms, but this is violence. Look, we, we've, it 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 started out as kind of a snarky joke on the right. And it kind of turned out to be reality, this argument of like, look, when I punch you in the face, that's my speech that's my truth that's my reality. When you say something that I don't like, that's violence right so the the mind's to the left anything that anybody does anything they don't like that's automatically violence. nothing that they do is violence including actual physical violence right, right. so this is uh, the absurdity of this is self-evident. I don't think this is. People go, look at this, and like, oh, my God, is this where our society said? No, no, this, this is what's going on. And that you've got uh, the people who are most focused on trans issues and, and pushing back against any notion that, like, you know, maybe, you know, you should not be doing irreversible changes to your physiology uh, until you're 18, at minimum. Right. You know, the, the idea, of, like, maybe you want to stop and think about that before you start hacking off parts of yourself. That seems kind of a uh, kind of important. By the way, the other thing is like, you know, obviously no parent should be preventing their kids from doing this, Greg, but they still should be paying for it on their health insurance until they're like, what, 26, 27? Is <laughs> that's that what right. Boys? That's that's what they right, say. You know, yeah. um, you know there, there, nobody ever thinks through the contradictions in these sorts of stances. But uh, but the people who, you know, the, the people who care about this are super intensely just just crazed, you know, driven on it. Where I think most people who would look at that and say, no, no, I think, you know, uh, Uh, You know, Abigail Shire has a perfectly reasonable book. This is something we should consider. The people have been very casual about it. Right. So this is one of those things where, like, if you're the American Booksellers Association, you're much more afraid of that furious, frothing at the mouth, extraordinarily motivated minority, even if you think there's a minority, because you don't really, you know, even though 60,000 copies of this book sold, you're not sure that those 60,000 people are going to come up and defend you. And I just think that's an observation. just, we should recognize that's a factor that's at work here. So we'll see what happens. But the other thing is that I think, I mean, there's a little bit of discussion of this on Twitter and other social media. One of the side effects of whether you want to call this political correctness or uh, Andrew Sullivan's been calling it illiberalism, if you want to call it woke, whatever, you know, this idea that everything has to march in lockstep to a particular leftist ideology or worldview is that it's very uncreative. It's very boring. I'm trying not to take pleasure in the challenges of other publications, particularly the financial challenges of other publications, because National Review, we're, you know, uh, very often an unintentional nonprofit. We're always asking (laughs) our readers for money. Uh, We sell advertising where we can. We get subscription money where we can, you know, but we're, you know, we recognize there's, there's no money in political magazines. Nobody, nobody makes a fortune doing this. Apparently the Atlantic's in trouble. Well, you know, my first thought, Greg, was that the kind of, you know, they really need to bring in an exciting writer who would challenge people and constantly surprise them. You know, the Atlantic really could use somebody like uh, like Kevin Williamson, don't you think? Greg? <laughs> yes, for more than a day. So apparently, you know, the, the story was the, the Atlantic lost $20 million uh, last year, and they're on pace to lose $10 million this year. Now, am I correct, Greg, that Radio America could not handle a year like that? I'm pretty sure we could not. That is correct. Yeah. I National Review has never had one of those, oh, we lost $20 million. And oh, by the way, this happened in 2020, a year with a presidential campaign, a pandemic. I, I can't hear, I'm a, I don't have to speak for everybody else, but I had by far the highest traffic I've ever had in 2020. It was a really news intense year. A lot of people wanted to know I got to read about this this coronavirus thing. And I want to read about the presidential race, and I want to read about Black Lives Matter protests and George Floyd. Like, you know, twenty twenty was arguably the most news-intensive year ever, and with all of that going on, you still lost twenty million dollars. Really? You know, it's it, everybody got hit financially because of the broader economy issues. But that's just kind of mind-boggling. So I don't do this to knock around the Atlantic, but just kind of observe. Look, the Atlantic has become more and more ideologically rigid. It has become more and more predictable. It has become more and more uh, unwilling to challenge the, not just even liberal orthodoxy, the leftist orthodoxy of a certain portion of its staff and I guess the editorial view and I think a chunk of their readers. And guess what? That gets boring. I think one of the reasons, you know, there are a lot of things made National Review good, uh, traffic good for the last couple of years. I think it was because certain days National Review would say, amen, Donald Trump, good job. And then a certain day, it's not sure you would say, no, Donald Trump, you're wrong. And I think there was a certain, you know, like pe- people, you know, lots of people didn't like one or the other, but they think they came back every day with the sense of what are they going to say today? What do they think of the last thing Donald Trump did? And it wasn't always predictable. You know, certain institutions, One America Network, you know, they're always going to love it. Certain inst- other places like CNN, MSNBC, you know, if they're not always going to hate it, then like high 90 some percent of the time they're going to hate it. Very predictable and and almost you know what they're going to say before you even click in or you decide to look at what they're saying. Um, I think what we're seeing here at the American Booksellers Association clearly they can't touch this, which means as far as they're concerned, the issue of transitioning changing your gender there's only one point of view. There is not a counter argument. There is not this other you know there's there's no argument worth interacting with. There's no argument worth considering. It's not even worth debating. And the more you shrink debate, the less there is to say. And I think that's going to eventually eat away at institutions like the American Booksellers Association. You've heard the slogan, go woke, go broke. You know, we'll see how this thing shakes out, but uh, kind of an indicator, a, a very strong indicator that they consider this uh, uh, publication saying, hey, look at this book, it's sold really well and now it's out in paperback. They characterize that as violence, as an indicator uh, of just how much they are not willing to engage with this, you know, other points of view on this this issue and I suspect many other issues.
0: Yeah, this is a cardinal move of the left. They demand tolerance when they don't have the power, and then they get the power in the media and politics and elsewhere, and then the uh, view they don't like gets no oxygen. You're not allowed to think it. You're not allowed to say it. And if you do, uh, you're a bigot and you're and you're ushered out of society. Jim, I don't know if you saw this on USA Today yesterday. Uh, the Academy hasn't done this. I don't even know if they're considering it. But USA Today was pushing for an end To best actor, best actress categories, and just lumping them all into one category because things with gender are so fluid nowadays. And my immediate reaction is, Hollywood's going to hate that because that's going to mean half the
1: awards. Yeah, actually, I I thought about that. (laughs) That sense of, uh, do you end up with a uh, situation in which you? uh, I I guess theoretically, you'd merge the two categories. You'd have ten best actor, actoid (laughs) acts. Being best performance, <laughs> and you'd have twenty in the or, or you know ten each. Uh, I guess there's usually there's usually five each, right? So you'd have ten in the best supporting performance. And do you have one winner? Or do you have two winners? And if you have two winners, could you have two guys? Could you have two women? I, I guess I'm I'm being very binary in my descriptions <laughs> yeah. here. You know, but at some point, like you know, you're like you know, well, I mean, well, what happens the year they decide to eliminate this gender categories, and all four of the awards go to men. it is a it is a um i don't think they've really thought through the consequences of this it's probably gonna blow up in their faces and you know just get ready to pop the popcorn greg
0: (laughs) that's exactly right for outstanding performance in a feature film by a human the oscar goes to by uh, the way
1: um if if, you know if you do a cgi character does that count as a human (laughs) Well, Carrie Fisher's and, gonna and I say that, but like people have pointed out, that I think Andy Serkis, the guy who was in the um, uh, Lord of the Rings stuff, and he's done a whole bunch of movies in which he is the motion capture uh, figure for these things. So the idea is that he goes and does it, he's got all the dots on him, and they use that, or uh, what Roland did playing Thanos in, you know, the idea that like an actor does a performance, and then they go in and they use, but they basically put CGI over his face To, you know, create a CGI character that looks and moves like a normal person. And people kind of argue whether that deserves its own category. And I'd be fine with something like that. I think that's the direction you go in, where you recognize that because of technology, your definition of what a good performance is, is different. Um, You know, maybe even something like, you know, know, considering uh, Pedro Pascal and what he's doing on Mandalorian, best performance where you never see the character with the actor's face or really do. Because that's tough, right? You can't use facial expressions, you know, so anyway. If you really want to you know, expand the categories or, or all, you can do that. Uh, but that wouldn't necessarily be in a woke way. That would just be an acknowledgement of how the, the craft of filmmaking and TV making is changing. Good discussion, Jim. Have a great day. Tomorrow's Friday. Can't wait, Greg. Can't wait.
0: Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. Tell your friends about us as well. We are very, very grateful for all of your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They help us out a lot, so please keep them coming. Uh, you can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a terrific Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini
1: Lunch.
0: All right, well, let's talk about some more good news, and that's 4Patriots, where you can find them at 4 slash martini and find all the great deals, including getting a free solar panel with the purchase of the Patriot Power Generator 2000X. As we always say with 4Patriots, you need to be prepared because you just don't know when the power is going to go out. The Patriot Power Generator 2000X is worth its weight in gold because it has double the capacity and is expandable so you can run all the big appliances like your fridge, your freezer, and medical devices comes with 12 outlets, including 4AC, plus two USB-C outlets that can charge your phone 20 times faster than a regular plug. Never needs gas, thanks to that solar panel. Fume-free, silent, and safe. 100% satisfaction guaranteed. Visit 4Patriots.com Martini to get your Patriot Power Generator 2000X with the free solar panel included. Plus, get free shipping on orders over $97. Save more and get peace of mind now by going to the number 4patriots.com slash martini. That's 4patriots.com slash martini.